thank you for praying this morning and please continue as you hear stories coming out of the Middle East and other parts of the world. Uh, let it be a call to prayer. Let it be a call to lift up our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ around the world. So how do we, how do we transition from such a subject to a very brief message this morning? Uh, you know, we don't face that kind of persecution yet. Um, we're not facing the kind of persecution that we just saw or heard about. Um, and yet, it's very important that we understand that it's real. It's real. It's not made up. It's not a story. I mean, the truth of the matter is, this is hard, but the truth of the matter is God always has and will continue until His Son returns to call some to give their lives for the sake of the gospel. We saw this in the early church. We saw this with His disciples. But the truth of the matter is, there are more people dying for the gospel today in the 21st century than ever in all of history. God will always call some to pay that ultimate price. I mean, beloved, the battle that we're in, the battle that is in that rages in this world is real, and the casualties are real. And so we are compelled to pray. But you know, I'm also reminded of this. There's a sense in which we are all called to embrace a life of martyrdom. Several, a couple of years ago, Dalton Lissy, who was holding this banner just a few minutes ago, wrote a book called Unto Death. And in the book, he talks about a theology of martyrdom. And to me, one of the most powerful points of the book is this. He says, there will be those who are called to die a martyr's death. But every Christian is called to live a martyr's life. Do you understand what that means? It's really getting at the heart of what Jesus said when he said to his disciples, if you're going to follow me, if you want to be one of mine, you must take up your cross, an instrument of death. Embrace the cross. Embrace your own death and come after me. I mean, that's the essence of the Christian life. And the truth is, we're not ready to fully live boldly, faithfully for the kingdom of God until we have come to grips with our own death. Until we have died to this world, we can't really live for eternity. We can't really live for the kingdom of God. So you know what? Whether or not God ever calls anyone in this room to die a martyr's death, God has called every one of us to live a martyr's life. Uh, you want to know how to find the courage to pray for or to, to reach out to or to love someone in your life who's very difficult. You want to know how to find the courage to witness to that person that you work with or that neighbor or that family member. And you've been so afraid of, of crossing that, that, that threshold because you don't know what they're going to think about you. You don't know how they're going to react. You don't know how they will view you in the future. The only way to find that courage and that boldness is through death to self and death to this world so that God can raise you up to live in faith for the kingdom of God. So God has called all of us to that, you know. Um, and, and, and we have to understand that the life that God has called us to is one that will, that will sometimes lead us into dangerous places. 
it will lead us into difficult places. It will lead us to do things that are uncomfortable, things that will disturb us in many ways. We, we were talking about this in the teaching team a couple of weeks ago. And we were actually talking about, you know, the 50-50 plan and how, you know, we're aware of the fact that as we go through this season of talking about abounding, that there are many of you who are in situations where you feel like anything but abounding. You are in situations where uh, you're in hardship, you're in difficulty, you're, you're in a place of, of great, maybe persecution, but you're certainly in places of great challenge. And, and so the question is, how do we abound then? I mean, let's be very candid. It's not hard to abound when God's grace comes with blessing and prosperity and favor. But how do we abound when God's grace is all we have? When that's it. There's nothing more. There's nothing that we can see other than the fact that God has promised to be with us and to provide for us everything we will need in every situation. How do we abound then? Well, I want to take us to a passage in Exodus 14. It's a passage that has come to us out of prayer. Uh, I think it was during prayer week. Maybe it was in the week after prayer week. But as we were praying, um, the Lord led us to Exodus 14. And I want us just to read verses 10 through 15. And and I'm just going to comment. This is going to be, this is probably going to be the shortest message I've ever preached at Christ Community. And I think you can hold me to it. We'll see. Um, Exodus 14. 10 through 15. I've got to give you the background. The background is this, because you won't understand it if you don't know the background. The background is very simply this. The people of Israel have been in slavery for 400 years. They have been living under the hard hand of the taskmasters of of Egypt. They have been oppressed. They have been abused. They have been used as slaves. They are the labor force for Egypt. They have been crying out to God. For 400 years, oh Lord, how long are you going to lead us here? Leave us here. They have been asking God to come and to deliver them, to set them free. And finally, after 400 years, God determines now is the time. And he raises up Moses and he sends Moses into Egypt to bring the people of Israel out. As you remember, Pharaoh's heart is hard. Pharaoh doesn't want to listen. God has to take him through ten plagues in order to bring him to his knees. But finally, Pharaoh is brought to his knees and he says to Moses, Take your people and go. Take these people and get them out of Egypt. You are free to go. And so Moses leads the people of Israel out of Egypt. And on their way, they come to the Red Sea. And as they're standing there on the banks of the Red Sea celebrating that they are finally free, that God has finally fulfilled His promise, and He is taking them to the promised land. They hear some noise in the background, and they turn around, and they see that Pharaoh has changed his mind one more time. Pharaoh has been sitting from his throne in Egypt. He has seen the entire labor force of Egypt leaving, and he has panicked one more time, and he has sent his entire army to pursue them, And so now Israel is standing with their backs against the sea and an invincible army before them coming for them. Now that's the context for where we're going to be reading. So beginning verse 10, 
As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, will never, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Now we're going to stop right there. And I want to take a minute to try to get into this passage to help us understand what's going on here. As the people of Israel are gathered there and the Egyptians begin to come in around them, they cry out in fear. And this is so like people, isn't it? It's so like us. I mean, let's be, let's be honest. They've been crying out to the Lord for 400 years, come save us, deliver us. But then as soon as they're delivered and they get in some danger, they immediately turn on the man that God sent to deliver them and say, didn't we tell you to leave us there? They said, we would have been better. I mean, they, they're so mad, they're cynical. They're saying, you know, Moses, were, were they out of graves in Egypt? Had they run out of cemetery plots in Egypt that you had to bring us out here to let us die on the banks of the Red Sea? And they're crying out to Moses in anger. And, 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 I, and I, we want to stop right there. I mean, let's, not, let's just not even go further yet. Because right there... We must wrestle with what we're hearing. Because here's the thing. Moses has led them into this place of danger. He has led them to this place where their backs are against the sea. They have no, ar- they have no army. They have no weapons. They have nothing. And they're standing before one of the greatest armies in the world coming for them. And they're helpless. But here's the kicker. The kicker is that Moses led them to that place under the direction of the Lord. It was the Lord that said to Moses, take them out of Egypt, take this route, and go to the promised land. And so the Lord has led them to this place. Now, I've got to tell you, that does, that'll do a number on your theology, won't it? That'll do a number on our nice little, neat little uh, theological boxes. You ever heard the phrase... For example, uh, the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. You ever heard that? How many of you heard that statement? The safest place to be is in the center of God's will. How do you think the Israelites felt about that right now? They're in the center of God's will. God has been leading them. God has led them out of Egypt. He has raised up Moses. He's given Moses all the directions. And now they're standing in a place where they're standing before an impossible situation. And they're in the center of God's will. How do we think the people of Syria, the Christians in Iraq, feel today being in the center of God's will? Now, I don't want to leave you confused. I don't want to leave you confused. When it comes to eternity, there is no question that the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. If you're in the center of God's will, in, in terms of the eternal uh, picture, you are in the safest place to be. But can we remember here 
And can we come to grips with the understanding that sometimes being in the center of God's will will lead us to places of danger, of difficulty, of challenge, of suffering? Why? I mean, why would God lead us into places like that? Why would God lead you into a place where you are now standing before an impossible situation? Why would God do that? I mean, some of you are here wrestling with things. like Maybe it's at work or at home or in relationships, or maybe it's your health. Uh, maybe it's your finances. You're in an impossible situation. You've been trying to follow God. You've been doing what God told you to do, and now all of a sudden you're in this impossible situation. Now, let me be clear. This is not always the case, all right? That's why we have to be very, very careful never to build a whole theology on a single verse. God doesn't always lead us into places like this. The truth is, most of the time, God is leading us to blessings. God is leading us to provision. God is leading us, I mean, there's no greater life than the Christian life. But there will be times when God takes us into a place like this. But why? I want to be very careful here because the last thing I want to do is pull out the Christian cliches and give you a bunch of easy answers. The truth is, I don't know why you might be in that situation. It could be one of a hundred reasons. I mean, it would be impossible today to try to explain. And let me just say, from my own experience and many others, um, trying to understand why will not always give you what you're looking for. But I can say this. I think it's very clear that what God is doing in a time like this is teaching the Israelites to trust him, period. To trust him, period. He's trying to teach them to live by faith. To live by faith. Now, we we all talk about wanting to live by faith. We understand that faith is the essence of Christianity, and we all want to learn how to live by, by faith in greater ways, and we say, Lord, Give us more faith. Teach us how to live by faith. But here's the thing. we got to understand that when we're asking the Lord to teach us to live by faith, do you understand that the only way to learn to live by faith is to be in a situation where you can't see the, the solution? Because if you could see the solution, you wouldn't need the faith, right? If you've already got a plan B... You don't need faith when you're, when you're looking at the fact that plan A isn't working. If you know an alternative route, you don't need to stand in faith. And so the only way to, to really learn how to live by faith is for God to take us to a place where we can't see and where we don't know and where we have no idea how God is going to work in this situation. And it's precisely in that moment that God is able to do his deepest and most profound work in us. Uh, Pam was telling me recently about reading uh, the biography again of Brother Andrew. If you've never read that book, read it. If you've read it, you know exactly what we're talking about. Because it is one story after another of a man who chose to obey God and to do things that were impossible. And they were in situations that were impossible. And it's at that point of impossibility that God is able to do what only God can do. 
And it's those who are willing to let God take them into impossible situations. And to embrace it. Who see God work in ways that are inexplicable. It just can't be explained by any other way other than to say, God showed up. God showed up and did what was impossible. I mean, think about Joseph. You know, here's the thing. What we're seeing here is that sometimes God has to lead us into a mess in order to bring out of us his purposes. We see that in the life of Joseph, who was sold into slavery and then falsely accused and imprisoned for a crime he didn't commit. God led him into, those, into that mess, into those places of difficulty, in order to raise him up to be a man of God just for a time like that. We see the same thing with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We see the same thing with David. We see the same thing with the disciples and the early Christians. God often lay, leads us into a mess in order to bring out of us his perfect will and his perfect purposes. And so that's exactly what God is up to then. And, and then God, uh, God, there's two things that happen here that are, this is where it gets really interesting. When you look at verses 14 and 15, this is, uh, this is one of the most um, impacting things I've read in a long time in God's word. In verse 14, the people are, are, are panicking, the people are filled with fear, and, and look at what Moses tells them to do. Moses says to them in verse 14, be still, stop, be still and know that he is God, he will fight your fight for you. This is not your fight, the battle is the Lord's, that's what he says. And so Moses says to them, be still, and then look in verse 15, because in verse 15, God says directly, stop crying and move on. Now, I don't know about you, but it almost sounds like God is a little schizophrenic here. On the one thing, on the one hand, he's leading Moses to tell them to stand still, and the very next moment he's saying, "Stop crying and move on." It's almost like God is saying, "Rub some dirt on it." <laughs> right? I mean, that's almost the way I hear that. The Lord's saying, "Quit crying and move on." Now, what in the world's going on? I mean, how is it even possible to stand still and move on at the same time? I mean, how do we stand still and move on at the same time? And yet, that's exactly what we see in verses 14 and 15. And then you look carefully at the context. What you see in context is very revealing. Because what God is saying is this. In regards to the enemy, in regards to the problem, in regards to the, 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 the challenge, the obstacle, whatever it is that's standing before you that looks impossible, in regards to that, stand still. Be still and know that I am God. Let me fight that battle for you. It's not your fight to fight. Let me do it for you. Now again, let me just be clear. That's not always what God says. Sometimes God says, yes, go fight that enemy. Go take that enemy. Go into battle. You know, sometimes God tells us to move forward. But there will be times in your life where you're facing something that looks or seems impossible, and God says to you, don't do anything. Stand still and let me fight your battle. But when it comes to the promise, when it comes to faith, God says, get up and move on. So you see, it is possible to stand still and move on at the same time. It's possible to say that as far as the challenges go, I am not going to fight that battle. 
but I am going to rise up and I am going to follow God by faith into the promise that he has called me to. And that's exactly what God is saying to the people of Israel. He's saying, let me fight your battle so that you can move on in faith. And I believe this morning that God is desperately trying to speak that word to us. There are some of you who are here today that need to hear that first word. There's some of you that are facing situations in your life. And the word of the Lord to you today is this. Just be still. Be still. The battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. And there are some of you to whom God has called to do something, to to be something, to go somewhere. God has called you to a step of faith that looks unattainable to you. God has called you to do something that you can't quite figure out. God is saying to you today, rise up. Rise up and move on. Now here's what's really humbling. What's really humbling, and I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm I'm sharing out of my own life. If If the shoe fits, wear it. But what's really humbling to me is the, the uh, exasperating tendency to do exactly the opposite of what God says. That when it comes to the battle, I will do almost anything but sit still. I will try to find out what the answer is. I'll try to fix the problem. I will look for someone that can help me uh, come against the, the problem. I will look for a solution. I will frantically do anything but be still And know that he is God. And and when it comes to faith and God is saying, get up and move on, I get paralyzed because I'm trying to think it through. I'm trying to, you know, you overthink it. You ever heard the phrase uh, analysis by paralysis? Actually, I said that just backwards. Paralysis by analysis. You get paralyzed because you're thinking too much. You're trying to figure out all the answers. And so in the place where God is saying, get up and move on, you get completely paralyzed. Or maybe it's fear. Or maybe it's just being out of control. God calling you to something where you're, it's just going to be out of your hands. It's going to be out of you. It's going to be bigger than you. You can't control it. And you're battling with paralysis. And God is saying to you, get up and move on. And then there may be some people here this morning to, it, to whom God is saying both. God is saying both to you, this is not your battle. Don't fight this battle. Put all of your energies toward the promise that I've called you to. Get up and move with faith. That's the word of the Lord this morning. I'm going to call you this morning to respond in some way. I'm not going to continue to expound on it. That's the word. I mean, I felt strongly the Lord said, just share the word. Those are the words. Uh, Now, we're going to share in Holy Communion. And I'm going to ask our our servers to go ahead and come and prepare them. I'm, I'm asking you today, as we think about Holy Communion, to remember that this is a battle that only Jesus could fight. And he has fought it and he has won. Jesus has already paid the price for your sin. I can guarantee you this, in regards to your sin, 
There's nothing that you can do to make it right. All you can do is humbly accept what God has already done. This bread represents his broken body and the juice represents his blood. Come and receive it this morning. And maybe for somebody here this morning, that is the very battle that Jesus is, that God is saying, this is my battle. Your past, I don't want you living in your past any longer. I don't want any more of your energy going to your past. This is my fight. Let me fight this battle for you. Come and receive my grace. For others of you, as you come and you receive these elements, it's a, it's a call to say, Lord, I, I want to receive your grace so that I can rise up and move on by faith. If you've come here with a need and you need someone to pray with you, these altars are going to be open. We've got people that have been trained to pray with you. If you've come here this morning and you know that you've never been saved, you've never asked Christ to forgive you and to claim your life, I would invite you to come and let someone pray with you this morning the prayer of salvation. But I'm asking you this morning to hear these words and to respond however the Lord leads you to respond. Will you stand? And let's just begin to respond to him however he leads you to this morning.